Hey, welcome to the Race to Alaska podcast, The Daily Fix. My name is Daniel Evans, race boss for Race to Alaska. Let's get at it. All right, hey, keep it kind of quiet, but I snuck into Zach, the film boss's room, and I stole some audio from him. He did a interview with Carl Kruger of Team Heart of Gold, and that's all this is going to be about. It's like an hour long. It's raw, and it's really good. So enjoy, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Question I have for you is, uh, who are you and what did you just do? <laughs> uh, do you want me to spell it out? To yeah. name and everything? Yeah, so um, some of the, the other interviews, I'm going to spell my name and all that oh, for, no. for the copy portion or whatever if they do it. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm Carl Kruger and uh, I just paddled um, a paddleboard in the race to Alaska from Port Townsend to Ketchikan. What does that entail? What does that entail? Uh, a lot of cold, wet miles and uh, what does that entail? Yeah, so much. I mean, for me, it was over two years of training. It was a um, it was a failed attempt last year. It was a custom built board for this year. Um, it was a you know in this year's training, you know, the, 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 my training effort this year ramped up. I've got a trainer that I work with on Orcas Island uh, that's been working with me these last two years, and we redoubled our efforts, you know, cause I want to make sure this year went off without a hitch. It was a pretty big disappointment last year. So I want to make sure this year worked. So talk about that effort. Like why was this pointing and what did you do? Uh, well last year, um, I got a lot of things right for sure. You know, I, I was definitely in, in strong shape. Um, and in terms of, um, you know, the, the nutrition that I had worked out last year with hammer, that was working great. Uh, the navigational stuff was all working great. Uh, the, the Achilles heel turned out to be the board that I was on last year. Um, uh, it wasn't a very well funded effort. I mean, it is only a paddle board, but at the same time, I mean, this is a, it's a huge undertaking. There's a, you know, it's a financial hit, you know, it's a month off of work. It's, you know, there's a lot. So, um, I had, I got the best board I could find, you know, as is a relatively readily available custom production board. Um, who should remain unnamed. It's an awesome board. You know, it really is a pretty awesome shape, carbon fiber, you know, but just not, not quite right and not rugged enough for this race, for the, for the, for the duty cycles, uh, you know, that, that, that the board needed to withstand to take that kind of weight, um, and that kind of pounding. And it took on a bunch of stress fractures the first day, uh, that I didn't know about. There were these tiny little fractures in the skin. It was a, it was a carbon composite, not a carbon mat. Um, and the board started drinking water the next two, two days after the race. And it took me till Nanaimo to figure out what was going on. I was having tracking problems with the board. Um, it took all summer to dry the thing out. You know, I, I had a real problem. I didn't even understand then just the true extent of the problem. Um, why is but, tracking a problem? Uh, well, you know, I mean, the, the goal is to, um, adjust your load and your strokes so that you're relatively even, you know, your strokes per side. I mean, there's, there's always going to be conditions that you get into where you end up paddling a lot longer on one side than the other. But I had a chronic problem where the board was tracking hard left and I was on my left consistently for two days. You know, it was, you know, 60, 70% more than on the right. And I started having physical problems as a result of that. Um, you know, shots of pain down my right knee and hip that crumbled me, just brought me to my knees, you know, and it became obvious that it just wasn't going to work. Um, so 
in dealing with that this year, I went to, I was able to get Joe Bark to um, custom design a board with me. Um, we, we talked quite a bit about what went wrong last year, what went right, and um, what types of conditions that I expected to find most often. And so we built the board around those ideas. Um, and I was really fortunate to have him. I, I credit him to, in, in his work on that board and building it for me with the success of the trip for sure. It was it was perfect. The board was perfect. How was this like your expectations? Sorry? How was this similar to your expectations? Uh, the race? Yeah. Um, I, I knew that it was... It, I knew what I was biting off. You know, I've sailed up this coast. You know, I've, I've, been, I've been along this coast quite a bit. You know, I've... I know this place, and um, I, I, I was eyes wide open going in. I knew exactly what I was biting off, um, so definitely no surprise there. You know, I, I knew I knew what it was going to do to me physically and mentally, and um, I think I think I was relatively well prepared for that this year. Yeah. What surprised you? What surprised me? You know, I, the attention. You know, I, I really I did that. Way, I did not. I didn't give it a second thought. You know that. Um, this is something I wanted to do. It's very personal, you know. I, I, I am I'm drawn to experiences um, outdoors that are, are as unfiltered as possible. You know, we, you know, we run a sailing charter business, so we, that's pretty filtered. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot between you and, and nature. You know, you're you're in this little pod of a boat, and there's a lot that's sort of filtering the experience. And by paddling the coast, that's about as unfiltered as it gets. That's the pure experience. There's nothing between you the paddler and the world around you and and that's that's why i wanted to do it this way and that's why i was drawn to it and and then just for the pure challenge to see if i could do it you know as i pretty sure i could you know but i i, I wanted to do it i wanted to experience this this coast that way yeah wow. yeah uh, what was the was there a biggest challenge to this thing uh, yeah, well, every day was different. You know, that's, that's, that's the, uh, <laughs> it's just it, you know, I mean, you know, even minute to minute, you know, the, the challenges sort of shifted and morphed as you went along. Um, you know, what spot on your body hurt Hold on one to, to, yeah. To, Hold the, um, the mic. Oh, am I, am I scrubbing on it? Yeah, yeah. How's that? Let's do that. Keep it here. Okay. If you can, uh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <clears throat> what was it? What was the question again? Where were we? Um, uh, I'll get to you in one second. Put these back on. Um, talk to you. Say a couple things. What's going on behind me? There's somebody walking by. Yeah, there's just a couple guys walked up the up the ramp there. Okay, good. Um, yeah. So I said, what was there one particularly big challenge? There were, there were tons of challenges. I, you know, I'd have to say that the very most difficult day that I had was the Dixon entrance day. You know, every day was hard for sure. They, you know, each day had its own challenges. And, uh, uh, but I, but I'd say the, <laughs> the stiffest day I had was the, was the Dixon entrance crossing. Um, the conditions couldn't have been any worse for me. Um, uh, it was, you know, the first, half an hour it was just this awesome sleigh ride i was downstream you know i had the i had the last of the skeena flow and i was in that it was nice and smooth plus the ebb was flowing and um it was great you know and i and i had in mind wow this is gonna be an awesome day i'm gonna get across here it's gonna be awesome uh 
within an hour, it, it the first squall blew through, and it was wind against the current of the Skeena. It's fresh water, um, which paddles very differently than salt. You know, I could, I could always feel it, you know, uh, especially in and around the Skeena and, and, and other river outlets, too. There'd be these upwellings of fresh water that would squirt up through the salt, and I could, physically, I could feel the board settle in, and it felt like I was paddling in concrete. You know, the board was that much more sluggish and less productive in terms of forward motion per stroke. I could feel it right away. You know, the, the, the fresh water's just... <laughs> not that great for paddling. You know, I, I really like salt. Um, so there I was in this sluggish freshwater flowing out of the Skeena and these squalls would blow through and it was wind against current and the, the seas would jack up in a really confused state. Um, not with set up, you know, with, you know, when the, when the waves set up in a, uh, in an organized fashion, you can get into a rhythm and deal with it. Um, but that day I had squall after squall and it was, um, it was like kids in a bathtub, you know, it was just these four foot chop just every which way. And I couldn't get the board moving to save my life. I just couldn't, there was, there was no rhythm. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't settle in. Um, and so, I mean, it was, I took that day wave by wave. It was a full blown brawl that that day to get through there. I mean, it was, um, mentally the most difficult day. It, it tore me down quite a bit. I mean, I got through just fine, but I, I put my head down and grueled through that day. Um, how do you mentally keep going through that? You know, you don't come as far as that and quit, you know, I mean, and, and I, I ran that through in my head quite a bit on the trip, you know, I, how, especially over, over a, a trip or an adventure or however you want to refer to it of this duration, you know, you, you you owe it to your former self to keep going. You know, it's like you think about all, all the effort that you've put into that point and you think about who you were back then, giving it your all. And it's, you know, in the shoes I'm in right now, I owe it to me back there to keep after it. Like I, I can't quit now. You know, that's just not an option. I'm not going to quit. And there is no reason to quit it, You know, if, even though it was hard, I mean, you knew it was going to be hard, you know I mean? And these are all conversations I'm having in my head. I'm like, you knew it was going to be hard, man. Like you, you knew this was going to happen. So here we go. Right. We're going to get through this. And, um, so yeah, those are the things that you just sort of run through in your head and you just put your head down and go. Yeah. Talk about, um, uh, that, but talk about any other low points or some low points. Um, that, that was certainly the, the lowest or most difficult, but the, it's one of those things where, you know, in all, in all the other experiences that I've had in the outdoors and climbing and everything, you know, there's this, there's this understanding that yes, there will be low points and there's, there's an acceptance of that on one level, but also this knowledge that it won't last. It's, it's not going to last and you just have to sit tight and it'll get better, you know? And that day it did, you know? So, so that day getting across Dixon entrance, it was a, like I said, it was a full blown street fight. It was a brawl and it ended by coming around that point on Dundas. I finally got around there and I caught the ebb just perfectly. And I got out and all of a sudden, you know, sea state cleaned up on the ebb. I got away from Dundas and it was, it glassed off and I was on the ebb and just had this conveyor belt ride straight to Cape Scott for the next two and a half, three hours. It was just absolutely gorgeous, you know, and it's, and it's that you have, that's the carrot on the end of the stick. You know, it's like when it, when it's as bad as it was getting past Dundas, you, you just have to hold in your mind, well, it's, I'll get through, I'll survive. It's, it's no reason to stop. 
you know, it's like, you just kind of have to prop yourself up that way and say, it'll come back around and I'll, and I'll have a better time later, you know? <laughs> and so there's a lot of that. You have to dangle your own carrot for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, you know, just talking to you and, I, and encountering you out there, I felt like you had some kind of inner, you had worked on your inner self or something. Is there something you've done like mentally, like preparing or to focus yourself? Do you like talk about how you, do, like, what, I don't know, things just come through you that makes you able to do this. Um, it, yeah, there's a lot, you know, I, I, I had an interview this morning where we talked quite a bit about this, you know, and, and, and life experiences that bring you to even doing a thing like this, you know, um, and sure, you know, there's a lot of personal work that goes into doing a thing like this. And sure, there's a huge physical component to getting ready for this. You know, the training has been intense. No, no, no denying that. Uh, but I spent a lot of time this year on the mental piece too, and, and, tra- and putting myself back in my own shoes and, you know, in, in situations like, you know, as an Alpine climber in back in the day, I was a guide for years and, um, helped people into those sorts of experiences and helped guide them through that, you know, but both psychologically and physically. And, um, there's definitely an art to that. Um, and I got to that place by being schooled up in that, in that lineage, you know, it is a lineage actually in my family, um, by my father, you know, who was, it was an old climber and he's the one that taught me how to suffer in the name of a good time. You know, he's, he's the one that did that. I grew up climbing with him and, you know, I put myself back in my own shoes back then and, and, and then learning about that acceptance piece, because that's really what it is. I mean, you have to, you, you really have to down to every fiber in your being, just accept and, and you have to, um, become that tranquil pond, you know, and just say it's for as good as it is now, it'll be bad later. And as bad as it is now, it'll turn around and it'll be good after that. And it, you just have to, you just have to accept that and know it going in. And, and I think once you achieve that acceptance, you know, which is hard, you know, you have to let go of a lot, you know, I think, and that's one of the beautiful things about paddling, I think, is that, um, there, there is no imposition of you and your will on, on your surroundings, right? I mean, your, your stroke is every bit as much informed by the sea state and conditions as it is you putting your stroke out there, you know, and and imposing that on nature. I mean, there's a feedback loop there and, and that extends all the way into, you know, I think the psyche in succeeding in doing a race like this mentally, you know, you, you have to accept that it's going to work on you. <laughs> Going to yeah. some of the ways that your stroke actually changes, like physically, how you change your stroke. Oh man, you know it's it's funny. There's a there's the, there's a base stroke. You know, there's a catch and there's a release and there's um, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a musculature and a, and a stature that you're 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 aiming to achieve. You know, I mean, a, a lot of paddlers, you know, and certainly in stand up talk about, you know, my stroke, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's central to the, to the whole enterprise and getting that good, clean catch, you know, and, you know, my dad, and he actually, he was a paddler too. And he grew up in a, in a heritage of, of paddling. He, he was half Algonquin, you know, and they're canoe people, you know? And so I, I grew up sitting bow for him and him picking apart every little thing I did, you know, and telling me he's, he's like, I shouldn't hear a thing except 
you know, different cadence, but that's what I should hear. No more, you know? And so there's that goal, you know, and in stand up, you know, you're looking for that vertical shaft and you're looking for that clean catch and that clean exit and just a slight twist if there's a breeze so that the blade, you know, feathers through the wind, it doesn't catch the air. And, um, you know, and there's a whole lot, you know, it, it, it's extremely nuanced, you know, and I think that's the draw of it for so many people because the stroke is so nuanced, but there's a feedback. So there's all of that. And there's like this base stroke and your goal is to find the perfect one. But that said, like I said, there's this feedback of C state and, um, how the board's behaving. And sometimes that base stroke just doesn't work quite the way you think it should. And you have to let each wave, you know, I mean, you, you have to time your cadence to C state. So you, you, you know, if you've got a shortened interval, you know, in, in a choppy C state and everything's stacked up and close together, you're going to have an increased cadence and, um, you know, a very, very fast cadence, you know, if, if it's glassy and you're powered up and the board's sliding along really nicely, then you're going to have a very slow, but you're going to, you're going to hit that catch with everything you've got so that you can have a breather. You know, you can stand up and take a deep breath and the board's gliding along and bang, you hit it with another catch and you can glide and you can take a little breather. So, so you'll have a, a longer cadence, um, with, with less concern about where exactly the blade goes. But, but, you know, with different types of sea state, you, you have to think ahead. I mean, it's like you're harpooning a whale, you know, I mean, you have to, you have to pick your spot, you know, and there, and there's a better spot on the wave to, to catch than, than not, you know, so you see it. So there's a, there's a strategy to every wave. And so that, so there's this feedback, you have to, you have to open yourself to letting the, the waves and sea state, um, change your stroke you know i mean there's there's a hundred different strokes i mean I, I i tried keeping track of them all while i was paddling and you just can't there's so many yeah what's the what's different about the inside passage for paddling than other places um it's incredibly complex you know this is a it's a incredibly complex waterway both in terms of of weather um and you know, certainly the currents and flow navigation, you know, um, there's a lot of strategy involved with, um, timing your movements, you know, especially with weather systems coming in. And, um, I, I certainly felt on this trip that I was, I was scrambling to hit a weather window the whole way up. You know, I had, I had goals. Um, I, I you know, I was, I was paying attention really closely to the weather and looking ahead two or three days to see what, what might be coming in and timing my movements accordingly, um, you know, with, with the ebbs and the, and the floods and the, and the tides so that I was, I was trying to be on the right side of, of the, you know, the flood and, you know, be with a favorable current. But there are times I got on the wrong side of that and had to suffer a little bit and paddle upstream. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's an intense amount of strategy that goes into timing your movement so that you're expending as little effort as possible to get as many miles as possible. Um, and, and that was a huge component to, to doing this trip. No, I just have a question. No, I, yeah. I just, I'm hearing the... Okay. Oh, you're hearing the water? Yeah. It's all broadly. Gotcha. What's that? It's quite, I mean, it is quite a race course. Like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's... Is you know it's a fun problem to solve. Fun. Well, you know, it's, but it forced me into stuff. You know, like that seventy mile day around Cape Caution. You know, that was 
I may not have done it quite like that, but I, you know, I'm like, I've got this perfect glassy day and tomorrow isn't going to be like that. It's going to be anything but favorable and it'll end up adding three or four days to the trip. And I don't want that. So I'm paddling the whole way and I'm going to do it today. So, you know, talk about some of the high points. Oh man, there's so many of those, you know, I mean, I saw so much wildlife, so much, you know, um, I mean, I saw whales every single day. I saw, is that, is that a problem? It's there, but I think it might be there for long enough that we just, yeah, it's fine. I mean, we can hold for a second. I could use a battery in a second. Let's take this opportunity. Okay. Pause. Gotcha. It didn't look anything. We were expecting like this big, steep, super long mixed ice climb, but it, it wasn't anything the season. We, we did it the season after it had been done the first time. And it was nothing like it was the first year. It was super fat and thick, and it was it was just this burly long ice climb, which it was fun, but it was nothing like what we wanted, you know. It's all good. Let me know when you're wrong. I am rolling. Did you clap in front of your face? Yeah. So yeah, we were talking about race course and yeah. high points. Yeah, right. High points. I mean, you know, I mean, the day was, each day was so full of them, you know, I mean, there's so many, I mean, I could go through the whole course and talk to you about all the wonderful things that happened, you know, um, I had, I had goals every day, you know, I, like I said before, you know, I, I had, I had daily goals set, you know, I was, I was, I was running up the course, um, jumping through weather windows the whole way. And I had that strategy, you know, set in motion the whole, the whole time to, to make those goals. So, you know, making those goals is always a high point, you know, rolling into the spot that you said that morning, that's where I'm going today, you know, and then struggling through all the difficulties and getting there. That, that was pretty awesome every day. I mean, that that always feels really good. Um, you know, the, the night that I went through Seymour Narrows, that was magical. It was absolutely beautiful. I went through alone. There was no other boat traffic in Seymour Narrows. Um, it was just absolutely blissful. You know, it was a warm night. The rain had kind of stopped and just shot through there. And I was paddling in the dark and the, you know, the phosphorescence was up in the water and it was just blissful and quiet. And I could hear the birds in the trees and it was just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, and then I can't remember the name of the bay, uh, but there's a little cluster of small islands off on the right, you know, a few miles past Seymour Narrows coming north. Um, and just by you know, intuition and radar. I was sniffing around there for a place to camp for the night. And, um, everything was really steep sided with these rocky sided islands that came straight down and really difficult spots to pull out. And I was sniffing around and I was like, there's gotta be a saw, there's gotta be a break in the wall here somewhere. And found this perfect little, you know, pebbly beach is about 20 feet wide and put in there and turns out as a little midden, you know, and it's, 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 it's very old campsite, you know, and I, I pulled up in there and stuck my board in the bushes and I could see that midden band in the, in the bank as I pulled in there and camped under this huge hemlock tree that night and just felt so snug and secure and like I'd found the right spot, you know, it was just this really magical night. Uh, and then the next day, you know, I was just, that was awesome too. You know, I went and downwinded in that gale warning in Johnstone Strait and blazed all the way down the south end of Johnstone. I got about halfway through the strait that day and got to Helmkin Island and just thoroughly enjoyed that day. It was full on conditions. It was raining sideways and blowing like stink. And, um, it was just so full of energy in life. And I, and I just really 
they really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it, it's even even while the whole time, you know, I, it was with the understanding that it was, you know, on the edge of things you should do in life, you know, <laughs> but I was having so much fun doing it that it, I felt validated in being there. <laughs> it was such a good time. What's it like on a paddleboard in those conditions? I, it, paddleboards are great and downwinding. I mean, they're amazing. It was, I had some difficulty, um, you know, the downwinding at a paddleboard is great. I mean, it's surfing, you know, I mean, you pick up a wave and you surf it, you get these amazing long glides and it's fast and it's like just this, it's, it's surfing, you know, I mean, you enjoy it for all the reasons that people go to the beach and go surfing. Um, it was a little more difficult than that because it was loaded boards. So I was having a little bit more trouble picking up waves and, and surfing them because, you know, you need a, you need to have the power to get the board moving to catch a wave. Um, but with a long board like that, with as much weight as I had on it, it was it was difficult to get up on a wave. But it, it worked well enough that I was still having a really great time, and it was fine. Um, What's the process? Describe the process. The process of downwinding? Or? Yeah. What do you do? Well, um... Yeah, I just wanted to describe the process because I don't really know. Like, I've been on boats a lot, but what do you do? You're just paddling. What? What else is there? No, there's definitely a rhythm to it, you know, and it takes a while to sort of tap into that. Um, you know, in, in downwinding waves, um, they do organize into sets, especially given a long enough run. Um, not quite as well organized as maybe come into the beach if you're out there surfing, you know, or you, you could set a watch to it almost, you know, when the sets come in sometimes. Um, but it's like that, you know, they, they, they get organized and it, it, you just kind of wait, you know, you're paddling the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're going downwind and you're paddling and you're keeping your balance and you're having a good old time. But what I do is I, I listen behind me cause you can, you can hear the big sets coming. You can hear them breaking. You can hear them sucking and breaking. You can hear the, like, you know, they're, they're, you can hear them crackling and you can hear them coming. You know, there's like, okay, here's some energy. It's coming. It's coming. And, you know, you give it a look over your shoulder. And when the first one comes through, what I do is I, you know, I let it pass and then I let the bow, you know, or the nose of the board bury. This is for an unlimited board, which is what I'm on. It's a long board, you know, with a shorter board, it's a little different, but for a long board, you know, I'll, I'll let the nose bury and the, and the faces are longer on those waves. You know, they're, they're bigger and that's why you wait for them. And there's ton, there's a lot more energy. Um, so you let the wave bury and then you get after it. You go with a really high cadence, you pack a punch, you know, and you power up that board and you get a little bit forward in the pan. And as soon as you pick it up, you know, cause you start sliding, you know, the board starts going and you know it, you know, and then you get back in the pan, keep the nose up, especially on the board that I was on, you know, it's got a real fine entry, um, a real, real aggressive, more, more of a flat water entry. Um, and you don't want to leave that in the face of the wave ahead of you or in the trough because it'll pearl, it'll, it'll take off one way or the other. So you need to move back as quick as you can in the pan and get that bow up off the wave in front of you and keep paddling, but enjoy the ride. You know, I mean, you're on and you're set and, and, and you know, keep working at it to stay on that wave and stay with it as long as you can. And it's just straight up exhilarating. It's really fun. Yeah. Wow. Um, is there anything you underestimated or do you weren't prepared for? Oh, uh, no, no, I can say that honestly. Yeah. I knew, I knew, um, I knew that that Dixon entrance day, there would, there would be that day there would be a day where I was, I got smacked, you know, I, I, I knew it was coming. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew it was coming. And, you know, that was the mental piece, you know, just be ready and just know. And I also know that it's going to get better after, you know? <laughs> um, but no, I feel that I was, 
I feel that I was pretty well prepared. You know, my gear was spot on. I was really happy with everything I brought. I don't think I brought too much. I don't think I brought too little. I, I'm really happy with every with everything. Yeah. What about those wafers? Uh, you know, have another one of those for a while. I guarantee it. <laughs> they work. You know, they work. Um, basically, that was the um, the reason you know I went with Amherst because it was the most calorically dense and most focused support I could find for endurance athleticism. You know, I, I don't think um, I could have found that, that, that type of support in regular food. Um, and certainly not in that tight of a package. There's just, there's just no way I could not have carried enough food to, to take care of my hunger and, and also support my body, you know, and to keep the soreness down, you know, I mean, with the, with the, entire big picture of the, the fueling plan that I worked out with hammer, um, you know, and the recovery shakes and the, in the way shakes and that, I mean, it's, it's a very focused, um, approach to mitigating soreness, which obviously is a big deal because I, I was pulling long days and I had to get up and pull another long day. And so, so mitigating that soreness was a really big deal. Um, and then I, I personally can't paddle with a full stomach, you know, so but I still needed calories. And so, so using those wafers was a really good way to, you know, support my body while I was working, um, and get what I needed. You know, you can only, or at least it, with my body type and weight and, you know, body fat index and all that, I can, I can only absorb about 150 calories an hour anyway, while I'm working, even though I'm using a lot more than that. Um, so that's why it's the three or four calories or sorry, three or four wafers an hour to, to keep functioning. And then the gels, like if I felt I was starting to tank a little bit, um, I just take a gel and get pumped back up again and just keep paddling, you know? Is this um, the longest thing like this you've ever done? Uh, straight through. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've been, I've been on, um, active exploits for longer, but with real food, you know what I mean? Like, but, in ter- but in terms of that kind of output and duration, yeah, this is definitely the longest. Yeah. What about your finishing order and just finishing the race? What does that mean to you? Um, just getting here, you know, the way that I chose to do it, um, was a success in my book, you know, I mean, there, I had, I, I had no trouble just ignoring all the people that thought I said I was crazy and it was a dumb idea or whatever. It was just, I, I just threw that away out of hand. I, you know, it wasn't like I paid attention to that. Um, you know, but there's a lot of, you know, you might say reasons why, you know, people would think it was a crazy idea or maybe not even possible. But, um, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today about how, how it even is that something appears as, as a, as, as possible to you. And it, and it, and it doesn't appear as possible to you unless you possess the skills and experience to make it so. Right. And so, you know, with, with the, the mixture of things that I've done in my life, you know, that we you know with the climbing and the, you know, the, the knowledge of what it is to, to do hard things that are, that are going to take you apart emotionally and psychologically and the water time, the water time and knowing this coast and, you know, having been all through here and, and knowing this place, it, I knew I could do it. Uh, how has competing in R2K impacted your life? Oh man. Um, I mean, that goes back a little bit to an earlier question, you know, I mean, I've sort of slipped along through my life doing what I do unnoticed, you know, and, and our, our 2AK changed all that for sure. Um, Hold on. what? 
sorry. I thought there was something. No, there's yeah. a guy coming down. I was yeah. looking at him. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't enter this race looking for any kind of attention or, or anything. You know, I, it's, it's not what I wanted. It was, it was a challenge. You know, I, I signed up because I really wanted to do it, and I wanted to do it on a paddleboard. I, want, I wanted to go in, a, in the purest most unfiltered way possible. And it was a very personal thing, you know, um, I, I wasn't prepared for the local support, you know, like back home on Orcas, uh, you know, it's, it's actually gonna be hard for me to go home, you know, I mean, it's, it, in, in a good way, you know, and, and I mean that in the best way possible, you know, I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> the support that I've enjoyed by, by the people back home is just off the charts. Amazing. And, um, yeah, the attention that I've gotten from this thing is I, I wasn't prepared for that at all last year. And, you know, and, and certainly this year it's even, it's even more, um, yeah, that's, that's certainly changed my life. What's it like? Um, uh, I, I mean, it's interesting, you know, it's interesting to me because, um, you know, I don't want that and I don't need that, but I do, um, I do appreciate the fact that somehow it's touched people, you know, I, I, um, I welcome that. Um, I'm especially welcoming to um, the, f- the kids. You know, like I talked to the kids at the main, or not the main, uh, at the Maritime Center, Northwest Maritime Center in, um, in Port Townsend. And the kids were really into it. You know, they asked a lot of really great questions. And then um, I found out later that all through the race, you know, they, they always wanted to know where I was at and how I was doing and stuff. And that means something to me, you know, because I feel like, no, I don't feel like I think that... Um, you know, in our modern culture that we've in a lot of ways lost our humanity, you know, or we are slowly losing it in terms of our ability to walk through and experience the natural world in, in its purest state in an, in an unfiltered way and, and, and schlog through the woods and, you know, camp under a log and, you know, build a fire, you know, it's like the, these skills like this. I mean, that's where we, as humans, that's where we came from, you know, and, and like, like, this is a skill set that I feel like is slowly slipping away. And like that, that knowledge and connectivity with nature is something that I feel is being eroded slowly. And, you know, this is something that we talk about a lot, my wife and I, with our, with our sailing charter business, that we, we want to build as many of those experiences into what we do for people as possible to, especially for kids, you know, if they've got kids, like build fires with them, you know, get them out, get them dirty, you know, get, get them some skills, you know, and, um, I, I'm very thankful that this has touched some kids. You know, I, I went and spoke with some kids too at the school on Orcas and I know that they've been watching the tracker and really into it too. And that's awesome. You know, and I really want to, I, I welcome the opportunity to go back and maybe talk to those kids some more about those things, about those skills, about, about what it is to be able to get on a board in a gale and Johnstone and feel comfortable, you know, about what those skill sets are and how you get them, you know, and that, um, I'm definitely going to jump on the opportunity to talk to people about that, you know, to, um, encourage people to get out and find their own challenges. What would you recommend for someone considering doing this race? Um, let's talk. <laughs> uh, it, it's definitely not something to be taken casually. Uh, you know, Daniel asked me if I'd be willing to be on the vetting, you know, team, you know, to, to look at, suppers or maybe other people too. I don't know. Um, and I definitely welcome that opportunity. I, I don't, I, I hope people would like, I, I hope people do want to try it. I really do. And I'm supportive of that. But at the same time, um, 
yeah, they've got to go in eyes wide open. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big, serious undertaking and, um, it could go south in a hurry. Um, and, and there's just so much to work, you know, in doing it so unfiltered that by definition means there's very little between you and it, you know, and, and if, and if you don't have the skills to back up your intention, then you know, that could be a bad thing for R2AK. And, and that, that's, you know, that's definitely something that I, I, yeah, I'll take very pretty seriously. Yeah. I mean, is it crazy to do this race in some way? Crazy? No, uh, no, not at all. You know, it's um, crazy. You know, I mean that, that that gets into the whole conversation of risk, you know, and, and safety and, and risk mitigation and all of that. You know, um, crazy? No. But you have to be completely aware of what the risks are and and have a good plan for mitigating what they are what those risks are you know i mean you know to my way of thinking you know safety is a construct i mean it just is i mean there really is no such thing as safety um so you know once you throw that out and and you and you accept you know the risk and and, and you've done your homework and, and mitigated all you know all those put everything on that potential problems list um and then some besides, you know, I mean, you really have to exhaustively think about all those things that you think you go around. Um, then it's time to go get after it, you know. Uh, in a few words, uh, what is Race to Alaska? Mm. I mean, for me, it's, I mean, it's been the penultimate experience. You know, I, I feel like, I mean, it's, it's the kind of experience, right, where, where you, you think, you know, I think back on my life and all the things that I've done and I, and I feel like everything is pointed to this, you know, it's just like this gelling of all, all those things I've done in my life and all, all those skills that I gained, you know, paddling with my dad as a kid and climbing with him and then guiding all through my twenties and the sailing charter business and going through this coast. I mean, it's, it's like there were pieces of all of that that went into making this whole thing a success, you know, like the paddle boarding and surf surfing. I mean, you know, I mean, so much. I mean, it feels like you know, I was drawing from all these these pieces of life that, you know, in my in my past that you know, this race brought together in, in a way that uh, I don't I don't know what else would have. Here's an interesting thing. I don't know if you have anything to say about it, but when we first heard about there's going to be a paddleboard doing this race, I'm like, okay, that's that's crazy. That's a crazy way to do this. <laughs> and then I met you, and within seconds, I was like, oh, he's going to be fine. Hmm. What do you say to that? <clears throat> um, I don't know. Just curious if it inspires them. I don't know. You know, I, I've, I've heard that before, you know, and I'm not quite exactly sure what to say to that um, other than thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't just jump off the couch one day and decide to do this. You know what I mean? It's like it, it was a, um, and there, there's a process to this, you know, I mean, I've been running scenarios in my brain for a couple of years now about, about that problems list and, and about mitigating all the risks. And I mean, it, it's, 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 it's used up quite a bit of bandwidth for the last couple of years. You know, I've been thinking a lot about it and it, and it, and it all, and it, and it all worked, you know, I mean, all those, all those scenarios and some of them actually happened, you know, um, but I, I guess I don't know quite what to say about that. Yeah. Uh, 
one other thing I've been curious about, I mean, you're doing this more as an athlete than like sailing can be athletic, but it's different. Yeah. What's it like? This is two weeks. You did it about two weeks, a little less? No, two weeks on the spot. Yeah. Day like 11, you get up. How do you feel? How do your shoulders feel? Like, how, like what's, it, what's it feel like on day 11 to wake up and get into this thing? Yeah, right. Well, there's a rhythm to all of that, you know, and it, and it feels really good to be in that rhythm. You know, it, um, it was very reminiscent for me of, um, you know, back in, you know, climbing guiding days, you know, where I, I'd been out climbing all the day before and I'd get up and do it all again, you know? So yeah, I woke up every morning, I was a little stiff and I would do my, you know, my, my trainer, uh, you know, we, we did our, you know, our top down warm up exercises to get all the, you know, synovial fluid flowing through my joints and get everything going. I would do it every morning and every night, like religion, you know, cause that's something that he pounded on me about. He's like, make sure you do this every day, you know, you know, every morning, every night, you know? Um, so I did that like religion just to get everything moving and, you know, grooving and wake up you know, before I got on the board and just make sure I didn't have any injuries, um, you know, stress related injuries. Um, you know, in the first hour it was difficult, you know, to get everything flowing and just get going. Um, Does it hurt? No, no, it didn't hurt at all. I was, I was never sore. Not once, you know, I see, you know, so I'd wake up, you know, and it was like, I would feel like I'd done something, you know, and some mornings were harder than others, you know, like the, the morning after the Cape Caution rounding, I did 72 miles and change that day and, um, was tired, you know, and slept pretty well that night. I had a good night's sleep and just beautiful spot. You know, it was such an amazing beach. I mean, it was just this scoured, just amazing, amazing storm swept, scoured beach right on the Cape, right on the Cape. You know, it was beautiful. Um, slept great. And, um, you know, I got up in the morning and it was a slow start, you know, but I, I was slow with myself and, you know, worked to find my rhythm and get going because I was straight into swells. You know, as, you know, as soon as I got out from around that sea stack, I was in ocean swells and it was game on. Um, a little stiff, but once I got flowing, you know, I mean, it takes about an hour and, I, and I'd just be grooving. I'd be back. I'd be back flowing again and battling all day, dealing with the same barriers and you know, all of that. <laughs> uh, if you could just describe the wafers for me, like how big are they? What do they taste like? How many <laughs> calories do they have? Gotcha. Yeah. So the, so the wafers I was using, again, they're, they're, uh, they're a product that hammer nutrition produces. They're, they're called perpetuum solids. Um, uh, and you can use perpetuum two different ways. They've got a, they've got a powder that you mix and make like a gel out of it and you can put it in the squeeze tube and use it did not want to deal with that, you know, the mixing and the, it wasn't going to work for me. And then plus I was afraid that the powder would get wet and it, you know, I'd lose them a batch and uh, I'd be screwed. So, um, so I went with the solids and you know, it's, it's about the diameter of a bottle cap and about twice as thick, you know, they're about like that thick and about that big around, um, three or four an hour. And so basically like how I timed it was, you know, that first pang of hunger, you know, they were that first that first little twinge in your, in your belly. That's like, Oh, I'd eat one, you know? And, and if it was a bigger twang, I'd eat, I'd eat, I'd eat two, you know? Um, and they're about 35 calories a piece and, um, all day. That's what I ate, you know? And, and if, uh, like I said before, if I, if that wasn't quite doing it, you know, if I was really putting out and it wasn't quite enough calories, I'd use a gel, you know? So I'd have a couple mouthfuls of, of, of the gel and that would, that would pull me back up 
and, you know, and I could feel it psychologically, you know, I, I'd feel a little sag psychologically and I'd, I'd know it was a blood sugar. It was a signal. So I was just like always mindful and just trying to keep, keep track of my mental state. And it was, it was, it was always blood sugar related, you know, and so I'd, you know, I'd just eat a gel and a couple extra, um, solids and, uh, and I'd feel myself come right back up again, take a little break, drink a little water and then jump up and keep going. Um, and so every morning, you know, I'd open, I had everything, um, vacuum bagged. I had day packs set up. So, you know, for, for a 10 hour day, um, in a, you know, evacuated bag that I would open up every morning and fill my vials that would be in my little zippered pouch. And so I'd have one right, right here. I'd have a, a little vial right in my camelback pouch on the front and I could just reach in and grab it and pop it in my mouth. And it's one of those things where, it's, it's not a culinary treat. You know what I mean? It's just not, um, it's, it's, you're eat for calories and you know it, but when you're in that state and you're in that flow, your, your body is well trained and it knows it, it, it knows it needs that. And so there, there actually, there, there gets to be a, a relief. There's a, there is a physical relief and you put the thing in and you chew it up and you swallow it and you're like, ah, you know, and there, there's a, <laughs> there's a relief there. Like, like eating, you know I mean? It's a, there, there, um, does your mind go to some interesting places on trip Constantly, yeah. I mean, you're constantly wandering around, you know, and um, and it's a deeply, you know, paddling to begin with is a deeply meditative sport. You know, I think that's why a lot of people are drawn to it. You know, I mean, just you know, you're, you're thinking about your, you know, your breath is is central to the stroke. You know, the, the breath because you're you're trying. You obviously need to breathe, but it has to work with your stroke. You know, it has to be timed such that, you know, your, your intake, you know, your intake, you know, after the release, before the catch, and then you exhale right at the, right at the catch and during the power stroke. Um, and so that, so there's a rhythm to that, you know, and it, and it's, it's, um, already deeply meditative and you're thinking about your breath and, um, you know, and I'm watching the, you know, just watching the water crack over the, over the nose and, and the water, you know, I mean, I contend that watching water do its thing like that is equally as primal as fire. You know, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things like what, just watching that somehow is just, um, I don't know. I, I can't be the only one that experiences that. <laughs> I can't, I can't be the only one. Uh, so you're, you're already in this sort of soft mushy mode, you know, and, and then, and then to be surrounded by, you know, the, the wilderness, like what we, we all just traveled through and some are still traveling through, um, you know, like the wildlife and, you know, the, the water. And then just thinking also about the millennia of paddlers that have traveled this coast that, you know, that's, I thought a lot about that and, um, had some really wonderful experiences. I, I, decided to stop in Bella Bella and, and see what happened, you know, and had some amazing conversations with some of the Heltzik people there about paddling and about these waters and about the spiritual connectivity of things, um, while you're paddling. And, um, I definitely would like to come back and spend some more time there and connect more deeply with some of the folks I met there. Yeah. So yeah, your mind wanders. Yeah, you know, I, I thought a lot about a lot of thought a lot about that. You know, and the history along this coast. You know, and the native peoples and the paddling, and um, I mean, you can feel that. You know, everything from 
you know, some of those campsites that I found and sleeping in, a, in an ancient midden and then getting up and going paddling the next day. I mean, it's like the, you, I found a connectivity to history and, and to nature that, um, mm, that's, that's a, it was a rare experience. Yeah, absolutely. I had, oh yeah, one just weird question. Did you, um, portage over into Seymour Narrows? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I wasn't planning to do that. I, I, it wasn't a plan. So the, um, you know, so we paddle over from Campbell River, and I, I, I knew we'd miss the slack, you know, that that night, you know, so, um, or that afternoon. We were too late. So, you know, I actually paddled over there with Rod. Um, I hadn't planned to hook up with him. He had, he had asked, Rod had asked if, if um, it was sort of a soft ask, you know, if I was into having a partnership, and I was like, this is a solo trip, you know, it, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into that sort of thing. I, I really want to do this alone. It's, it's part of why I'm doing this and sorry. Um, but when I left Campbell river, he, he jumped his boat and came along with me, which I, I you know, it, I, I didn't, I wasn't concerned about being able to get ahead of him. So I wasn't worried about it. So anyway, we paddled over there and, um, there's a little dock tucked up in there. Uh, in, I can't remember the name of that little island that, that has Seymour Narrows there, but found the dock and nobody was on it and um, put onto the dock and walked up the ramp and had a look around. And I, it, it's not evident on the chart, but when you get up there on, to the top of the ramp, I mean, that little isthmus is only 20 feet wide. It's just this little tiny neck that's built up riprap. Um, and it turns out that used to be called Canoe Pass. That was a, that was a pass through for the native peoples that would paddle through there. Um, but it's been filled in. Uh, so I stood on the top and was like, wow, I, there's no need to paddle all the way around that island to get into Seymour Narrows. I think I'm just going to schlep my stuff over here and wait for slack and go in right here, you know. Um, so I did. I pulled my stuff up there and had a little nap on the bluff there and waited for slack and went in later that night. It was a, it was a good plan. I liked it. <laughs> Saved me a mile, maybe. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd want to share about your trip? Um, or your race, I should say. Yeah, the race. Yeah, it's funny. I didn't... Um, you know, I never... You know, I didn't think too much about it. As, I mean, I think a lot of the other racers share the, the the sense or the feeling that it wasn't even a race with the other boats. I mean, it was, a, it was a, I think, a deeply personal race for everyone in it, you know? I, at least everyone I've talked to about it. Um for me and I think there's a little extra weight added to the sense for me that you know I wanted to set the bar high on this you know I I, I wanted to do better than just pulling it off you know I I, um, I wanted to I wanted to do it as quickly as I could you know I wanted to pull as many miles as I could safely and um, you know, so it was a personal race. Yeah, I was, I was definitely trying to. I was I was really working to set the bar high. You know, and, but but I didn't really. I decided pretty early on that I, didn't, I wasn't going to worry about the other boats. This this was my own thing, and um, if I ran into other boats, then great. But I wasn't going to worry about their movements and how fast they were going or or, or whatever. Um, and I and I my sense is a lot of the other racers feel the same way. Yeah. Is there any other racers that particularly inspired you? Um. They all do, really. You know, I mean, I I love how Sister Ship came back from from damage, and they were way back there, you know, and they they reeled in a lot of boats and did really well, you know. Um, 
you know, I really enjoyed watching a lot of the boats, you know, um, you know, I was playing leapfrog with Freya for days. It seemed like, you know, I kept seeing that boat around. It's a beautiful little boat. You know, I, I loved watching, watching him sail. We never talked or anything, but it, I, I love seeing him pop up every now and then. It was cool. Um, I mean, everybody here, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a serious commitment to take all this time off and it's expensive and all of that. And it's not even, what do you get out of it except for this experience? You know what I mean? Which, you know, to be surrounded by people who are driven by experience above all else is, I think, the coolest part about it. Yeah. Do you have any more questions? Yeah, if you could elaborate more on your philosophy of uh, safety as a construct. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is. You know, you might... Hmm. You know, I, I, you had to find a big red button, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I've lost some people in life. My first major loss in life was my brother, John, you know, I was 13 and uh, he was hit by a drunk driver and killed. And, uh, it got me thinking early on about, um, you know, just this whole idea of like tragedy, you know, it's like, you know, it seems like people spend a lot of time like trying to insulate themselves from the potential from disaster, but it happens anyway, you know, and, you know, there's certain things you can do, you know, seatbelts, you know, I mean, yeah, they probably do save lives, you know, but one wrong step, you get plowed by a bus in a crosswalk, you know, or you get cancer, you know, I mean, there's just, nobody gets out of this alive, you know, you're, you're not going to survive this life. Um, I think risk is inherent in all things we do. You know, life is inherently risky and, um, for me, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think, you know, coming from, you know, a climbing background to, um, I think, you know, the, the idea of safety and like keeping yourself safe and, you know, and, and, and alive sometimes, you know, I remember feeling like it was this great weight, you know, and worrying about it. And it's not, it's not to say that you do unsafe things It's more that, again, there's this acceptance that what you're doing is risky. And then from there you move along and you say, well, what can I do about those risks? What are they specifically? What can I do? You know, and then, and then all of a sudden you're on the path to, to setting yourself free from this fear of killing yourself or or injuring yourself, you know? So there's, there's a, there's a mindfulness piece all of a sudden, like you step past that fear of injury or death or, or whatever. And, and you step into this mindful place of these are, you know, these are, you know, all the, all the ways I, I've identified that, I, that this could go south and what can I do about those things? And then all of a sudden you're, you're free mentally to explore your physical capability in the natural environment or whatever it is you do, you know, you, you can, you, you're free to go. You've got the, you've got this unladen feeling. And I remember that 
very poignantly in climbing when I finally achieved that, when I was able to let that fear slip away, it was like a chain around your neck and it, um, and it took years to attain that to where I felt that I was, I had adequately had my tutelage in climbing and I had adequately, um, learned how, you know, what those risks, you know, all, all the, all the many risks, you know, everything from, you know, avalanche country safety to, you know, just the, the nitty gritty stuff and, you know, checking your partners, uh, double back on their harness, like all those little things that, 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 that you can do to mitigate what you're doing and learning how to set your gear properly. And, um, when you know, you've got all that under your belt and, you, you're confident in your skills and your experience. Um, all of a sudden there's this freedom to really stretch out and take on bigger and bolder lines and stay out longer and climb steeper and faster, or ride faster, or paddle longer or, or whatever it is. Like there's that, that, that safety bits. And it, it, you know, for me it was, it was always a chain around my neck, you know, just, um, holding me down you know on this one um i felt very free from the get-go that i that i'd been through all of that i'd, I'd mentally charted the, the dangers and the and, and all the ways this could this could go south and satisfied myself that i mitigated those to the best of my abilities and was able to go free bird just open up to the experience and just and just go unladen yeah. Cool. Should you do it again? Uh, you know, that's a toughie. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I probably would. Yeah, I would. You know, I, I definitely want to do the race again. I'd like to sail it. I'd love to sail the race. Um, but the paddle, you know, it's like, I'm not sure I could beat my own best time. I really don't. I mean, that like, this year, so many doors, you know, yes, I was chasing weather windows, um, but I feel like, you know, w with, you know, the, the weather windows that I was presented and my physical fitness and the board I had this year, I mean, I, I feel like that the way just opened in a way that was almost magical. I mean, it, it this year it opened up to me, you know, the, the coast opened up, you know. And I, I don't know that I'd enjoy that again. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? You're like, there, there's a no small amount of luck that goes into success in a thing like this. Yeah. That's cool. Well, thanks for talking to us. Yeah. You can follow it all at r2ak.com. This is Daniel Evans, Race Boss for Race to Alaska.